week. How do we do our offering during this time? And so on the screen, in just a moment, if it's not already up, will be a, a board about to announce about an offering. And so we encourage you to be faithful during this time as God is faithful to us that we want to be faithful to him. And we have lots of reasons to, uh, to give, be grateful. And so you can feel free to mail checks. We've got online giving available. Uh, but we received from him that we would give back as well. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace you give to us in Christ. We thank you for the good things that you do for us and through us. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful as a people as we seek to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, hey, good morning, church family. It is different being here today, but it's good that we can gather. Um, even if we're not together, we're able to gather remotely. Um, I trust that um, you are comfortable in your homes. Right now, I'm looking around the auditorium, and I'm picturing where all of you sit. It's one of the good things about sitting in the same place every Sunday. And, uh, but I'm picturing this morning not in your pajamas or whatever you're wearing right now, but what you usually do on Sundays. As we Think about all that's going on right now. There's certainly a lot of concerns, but one of the things that we want to do is in, and to encourage you is to work hard to kind of keep your rhythms and to keep the rhythms of Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock tonight. We're going to have a, a post, a teaching uh, on our Facebook church family side, and so we'll have that at 7 tonight, but then also 7 on Wednesdays, and we're going to be sending, in, sending out on uh, just our email and some different channels, regular communication about what's happening and and then we're going to kind of collect all of that on our church website. And so if you have questions about what's going on and when things are happening, if you click on our website at eastsidebc.com and then go to the COVID-19 updates, we're going to kind of collect all of that information and just be putting it there so it's kind of a one place uh, to gather everything. Well, I'm going to pray as we begin, and then we're going to jump into our study this morning. Uh, Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. We thank you that it is unchanging, that it is sufficient that it is inerrant, that it is infallible, and Lord, that we can trust it. And Lord, we thank you that we can trust the Bible because we can trust you. Uh, you are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
Lord, you are a sovereign God who's in control. And as we look at our world right now and see a lot of things that don't seem like they're in control, that we have confidence that you are, that we also have confidence that you're wise, that you're good, and that you're purposeful. And I pray that you would use this season in our own lives to help us to grow and change, to be more like Christ, that we would not squander the time that we have and the disruption, but that we would use it well for our own personal spiritual growth and to be an encouragement to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, our text this morning is in the book of Matthew, I mean, the book of Mark. Mark chapter 15 is where I want you to turn this morning, and as you look, open your Bibles there, I want to encourage you to think about the statement, the night is over and the morning has dawned. As we hear that statement, the night is over and the morning has dawned, it is a phrase that encourages us, that the night is often described as a season of darkness, a season of hardship, a season of difficulty, a season of loss, a time of challenge. And yet, whenever the dawn breaks, light begins to come. And the light and the daylight, the morning becomes a time of hope and encouragement for us. And yet, as we look in our text this morning, it tells us that it's the morning. And yet, although it's morning, it's not going to get brighter. So let's look at our text together in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. As soon as it was morning... The chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, and they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for one of them a prisoner for whom they'd asked. And among the rebels in prison who committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to him, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We look at this passage in the context. We know that in chapter 14 that Jesus has been arrested. The things that were unfolding were things that Jesus said was going to take place. He had told his disciples this chain of events and how it was going to unfold. This garden, it all began in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. He was arrested. He's been taken into court, this hastily called together court of the Jewish leaders. And and as they brought to Jesus, as we saw last week in chapter 14, they brought him in determining he deserved to die, but they didn't have any charges yet. 
So they brought false witnesses in. The false witnesses didn't agree. And someone came and said, well, he said he's going to tear down the temple. In three days, he was going to rebuild it. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus didn't say a thing. They finally asked Jesus, they asked him if indeed, if he was the Christ, the son of the blessed. And Jesus confessed, he was, he, he confessed his identity. And as they recognized him say that, they charged him with blasphemy. That he had said something against God, that it, what, declaring himself to be the Messiah was not something that was acceptable to them. They had rejected that, and because they rejected that, they sentenced him to death for blasphemy. And yet there was one problem. The problem is that they can't carry out the death penalty. And so they have to go to Pilate. And so we see that in verse 1. It says, as soon as it was morning, so these morning tri- the evening trials are over, they get to morning, and the high priest, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, they all get together, and they determine and make a sentence, and they send Jesus, it says, at the end of verse 1, they delivered him over to Pilate. And as they deliver him over to Pilate, uh, Pilate um, asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And so Jesus is now on another trial, undergoing another trial. And as we understand who Pilate is, Pilate was a Roman officer. Um, He was overseeing that region for the nation of Rome. Um, He didn't live in Jerusalem. Um, He normally resided at Caesarea, which is on the Mediterranean Sea, which if you're a leader and you can live where you want to, it's a beautiful place to live. But this is the season of Passover, and during the season of Passover, the attendance and the population of Jerusalem spikes up to five times more, and so he realized he needs to be there to be able to keep the peace and to handle any problems that come up, and, and, and so he is there. But as we think about this thing, things about Pilate as well that are helpful is that Pilate and the Jews did not have a good relationship. The Jewish people despised the fact that the Romans were overseeing them, Pilate often dealt harshly with the Jewish people, so the Jews don't like Pilate. Pilate, Pilate doesn't like them, and so they butt heads. And Pilate was a, was a strong leader, and he'd had some conflicts with them in the past, but they need him now. And it's interesting, they, they, they come to Pilate, and they char, they're charging Jesus no longer with blasphemy, but with a different charge, at the charge of treason. And what they've done is because they know that Pilate could care less about their religious laws. They didn't, Pilate didn't care if he, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Pilate's role was to keep the peace. And so they changed the, the charge and they say that Jesus is treasonous. He's an enemy of Rome and he's a threat to Caesar because he's saying he's a king. And, and, and so Pilate begins to examine him and he's asking him some questions and he asks him, he, he says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, you have said so. And so Jesus responds to what Pilate has said. He responds to what Pilate has said and says, it is, I am a king. And Pilate's asking that from a context of, are you a king who's a threat to Rome? Are you a king that's an insurrectionist? Are you a rebel against the nation? And Jesus, but Jesus hears him say, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus confesses he is because he is the king of the Jews. And he is not only the king of the Jews, he's the king of the Romans. He's in the king of every other nation in the Mediterranean part of the world. In fact, Jesus is indeed the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Romans. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he says to Pilate, you have said so. And it's this indication of Pilate, I am a king, but not at all in the way you think. 
And so the passage goes on. It says, and the chief priest accused him of many things. So they've got this charge. Jesus has kind of confessed that he's a king. And so they start piling on, piling on other charges. And other New Testament books tell us that they were charging him with, like he says, that people shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar and all these other charges. And in verse 4, it says that, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? And so Pilate's like, come on, say something. I mean, they're bringing all these charges. And as we will read a little bit later, Pilate recognizes that these charges are just trumped up, that there's nothing of significance to him. There's no reason that Pilate needs to be concerned about Jesus. But they're pushing him on this. And so, but Jesus is silent. He doesn't answer any other charges except the one that he is the king of the Jews. And as he answers that, he doesn't answer it in verse 5. It says, but, Je- but Jesus made no further answer, and, and that, so that Pilate was amazed. Pilate's amazed at this. I mean, think about what's going on in this courtroom, and think about what happens in your own heart. Whenever you, let, let's suppose when you're accused of doing something wrong, and, and you've done it, how do we often respond? I mean, if, I mean, the proverbial, I've got my hand in the cookie jar, and somebody opens up the door, and they see my hand in the cookie jar, and they say, what are you doing? Very seldom will I say, well, I'm stealing a cookie. I know I'm not supposed to have it, but I'm taking it. What do we do? Well, I'm, um, um, I'm just counting cookies. I just want to see how many were in there. Or uh, I was getting one for you. I was really actually being kind and polite, and I'm doing this, doing this for you and getting this cookie. And so whenever we're, even when we're guilty, we make all kinds of excuses and rationale why we're not really guilty. We have a lot to say. But how much more when we're innocent? I mean, you're sitting watching, streaming something, not watching sports because there are no sports on TV. And so you're, you're watching something on TV and somebody walks downstairs and, and they open the cookie jar and their cookie's missing and you didn't take it and you get accused of it. You've been accused of doing something wrong. What's our normal response? Right? We go into hyper-defense mode. I didn't take it. Oh, yes, you did. I can't. The last time there were this many cookies there. Now there are this many. And there's certainly you've taken something and there's a problem. You've done this. Like I have not. And we make all kinds of defense because we don't want to be falsely accused. And yet what's going on here? Jesus isn't saying a word. And Pilate knows what's going on isn't a, the pursuit of justice on the part of the Jews. He knows that they don't, they're not concerned about Rome. I mean, Pilate and the Jews had this adversarial relationship, and now all of a sudden these Jewish people, these Jewish leaders who don't like him, are demonstrating all kinds of concern for Rome. Hey, Pilate, we're worried about Rome. We know that Caesar is the head of the Roman Empire and all of this. There aren't to be other kings. But this guy, Jesus, he's now saying he's a king, and we're trying to help you out. Pilate knows this isn't what's going on. And he's amazed that Jesus stays silent. That Jesus doesn't, does not answer his charges. He refuses to defend himself. He refuses to de- defend himself just as he did back earlier in the night when the Jews accused him. He wasn't guilty of blasphemy. He said he was the Christ, but it was true. And so he confessed to that. They were unwilling to consider that he truly could be that. And when they were saying other things, he was silent. 
and here in the courtroom where he could make a defense and be able to say, listen, I'm the Messiah and I'm the Jewish, I, I am the Jewish, I'm the son of God, I'm the Jewish leader, I'm who they've been waiting for. Pilate wouldn't have cared. And it's interesting is after making all of this case, Pilate doesn't have a determination. The gavel doesn't come down and say, you're guilty. He's heard all the charges and he's amazed that Jesus is silent. He is stunned. And as we consider what, what we see in these first five verses, some things that we recognize, and the summary is this, that the Jewish leaders, they had condemned Jesus. They condemned him in the middle of the night. They met in the morning to reaffirm that, and they have come, and they hand him over to the Romans. They changed the charges from blasphemy, this crime against the Jewish state, to the charge of treason, the tr- crime against the Romans. And they change the charges, and we see Jesus willingly incriminate himself. I am the king. And, and he incriminates himself again. You see, in the context with the Jewish people, he realized they're going to find me guilty of something. And I want them to find me guilty of what's true. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And if they're going to find me guilty in a Roman court, they're going to find me guilty for what's true. And what's true? I'm the king of the Jews. And so in both of these places, none of the evidence that the Jews have are good enough to sentence Jesus, but he gives them what they want. He wants. He gives them enough information that they're able to move forward with this trial. And so Jesus incriminates himself again, but just as he did earlier in the night, we see Jesus refuse to defend himself. He refuses to speak up. He refuses to defend himself against charges that he knows are going to cost him his life. We see the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah that talk about Jesus is silent as a lamb. He's silent, doesn't say a word. Well, as we continue in our passage, it says in verse 6, Now at the feast, he, this is Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And so Pilate has this tradition as a time of Passover to show his goodwill, to demonstrate the, the graciousness of the Roman Empire. There would be some prisoner, and he would release one of them. And it would be at the request of the Jewish people. So clearly it's a crime, probably a crime that somebody's done against Rome. They're being held in a Roman prison and they said, I'll release one of your prisoners. Let me know who it is and I'll release him. So he's got this pattern of doing this. And we're told in verse 7, Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And so we get a little bit of history here that there had been a rebellion some kind of insurrection, some kind of of resistance of Jewish people fighting against the Romans. And and so there would be often some clashes, and in the history of of the Jews, there were a number of clashes that they had with the Romans. And so there is this group of rebels who have been imprisoned in verse 7. And then it says, but one of them, and maybe many of them, had committed murder in their insurrection. And so very likely in this battle, this insurrection, it was a Roman soldier, a Roman official in some way that was killed. And they were killed in this insurrection, and one of the guys they caught was Barabbas. And we recognize that Barabbas was not only caught, but he's been charged, he's been charged with murder. 
right? So he's a murderer, and because he's fighting against Rome, he's acting in a treasonous fashion, right? So he's a guilty murderer, guilty of treason, and so he's in prison. And so it says in verse 8, the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. So this is, this is Friday morning of the Passover week. The Passover is going to happen later on this day. They'll slaughter the Passover lambs. And so on this, this significantly religious day, that's when Pilate would release the prisoner. They go to him, and they're going to make their request. As Pilate, you usually let one of our prisoners go. And uh, so are you going to do that again this year because we have some thoughts And as we see the context here, it it, it appears that the person they were going to ask to be released was Barabbas. Barabbas, in their eyes, would have been a freedom fighter. He he is a popular man in their eyes, and he was fighting against Rome, and so he's a hero amongst these people, very likely. And so the crowd's going to come and says, release Barabbas. But Pilate, in verse 9, Pilate answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And it's interesting because it says in verse 8, the crowd came to Pilate. And he says, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And what we recognize here is that Pilate, he is a skilled uh, politician. I mean, he is uh, somebody who's able to work the parties, understand how things work. And so, so it seems as though what's going on with Pilate's mind is, all right, I've got these Jewish leaders over here, and they're pressuring me to convict Jesus of this crime of treason. They want me to convict him. Over here, there's this crowd of people that they have identified Jesus as the king of the Jews. Jesus is wildly popular in, in, in Jerusalem wildly popular i mean places he would go thousands would gather to him and so jesus had won the favor of the common people and so pilate's looking at these two options and thinking okay they want him dead these people jesus is really really popular with them Hmm, i might be able to work this to my advantage because if i say to the jewish leaders okay he's guilty and i'll and i'll send him to prison I've got the crowd over here saying, hey, release Jesus. Skilled politician. I've made it work. Both people are happy. The Jewish leaders will be happy because I convicted him of treason like they wanted. He's not dead. But if I could say the reason that I'm not going to kill Jesus and we're not going to crucify him is because the crowd has demanded I release a prisoner according to my custom. And so now the problem is no longer with me. The problem is between the crowd and the Jewish leaders and Pilate's able to wash his hands and say, this is, I got this covered. So he says to them, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And I think Pilate is hoping, yep, that's what they're going to want. That's what they're going to do. Because in verse 10, it tells us a little more detail. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the, priest, that the chief priest had delivered him up. Pilate recognizes their charges aren't legitimate. They are, they're jealous of Jesus. They're envious of him. This idea of envy, um, envy is this idea that, that I am angry or sorrowful over the success of another. I mean, think about that for a minute. That's what envy, somebody else is doing well, they're having success, and inside of us, 
we're angry about that, we're grieved, we don't like it. And realizing how ugly of a sin that is, I mean, envy is a horribly ugly sin because God calls us to love one another. And when we're loving others, when we see others succeed, we should applaud them. We should be thankful that they're having success. We should be thankful that they're doing well. And we should be delighted in that. And so these religious leaders who are hearing Jesus teaching truth should have been excited that this guy's teaching us and helping us to speak, speak more clearly of God. He's helping us to understand things more clearly. But they're seeing Jesus become wildly popular. Jesus speaking against them. They're threatened by Jesus, their power, their position. And Pilate gets it. Pilate understands that, and so Pilate is recognizing these charges they've brought, they're not legitimate. And so he thinks, I can put it all together. But what happens? We know the story. In verse 11 it says, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd. See, the chief priest had to change the mind of the crowd. Because, like, well, that makes sense. These, Jesus is very popular with these people that the Pilate says will be released, the king of the Jews. It's as though the people are like, well, that might be a good idea. But the chief priests go to work, and they start stirring the pot, and they start to stir the pot and to have them release Barabbas instead. And as Pilate hears that, you can't hear but to hear him reckon, see him being like, uh-oh, I'm cornered now. The crowd wants him dead. The leaders want him dead. My job is to keep peace in Jerusalem. I don't give the crowd what they want. I don't get what the leaders they, what they want. I've got a riot on my hands. And so, as we would read in other Gospels, other Gospels that Pilate wrestles with this, and he's wrestling with what's true, and he's wrestling with all of this. And, and, and so we see this wrestling in verse 12, and he says to them again, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Which is interesting. What shall I do with the one you have called the king of the Jews? Because he's, it's almost as though he's thinking, okay, so tell me what you want me to do with him. And he can't help but to think this. Well, release him too. Because it seems that Pilate would be willing to do that. Because he knows Jesus is not guilty of the crime that they want him punished for. And so he says to them, he says, What shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews? You're calling him that. And they cried out again, Crucify him! So Pilate is pushed into this corner and he can't get out. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? Which clearly tells us Pilate knows he's innocent. Pilate's asking the crowd, what evil has he done? I've had him in court. The leaders have given their charges. I didn't find any evil that he has done. He's an innocent man. What do you got? What evil has he done that you want me to crucify him for? And they don't answer. The mob is stirred up at this point. The crowds are stirred up at this point because they shouted all the more, crucify him. No charges, no crime, no additional information. They just want him dead. The chief priest has stirred them up. So what does Pilate do? It says in verse 15, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Pilate, it says that he wishes to satisfy the crowd. 
what does Pilate decide to do? He doesn't think about what's just, what's right, what's good for Jesus. I'm going to satisfy the crowd and give the people what they want. Doesn't matter that it's wrong. Doesn't, it's expedient. It is the practical thing to do. It is the reasonable thing in his mind to do. And so what does he do? He gives in to them. The other gospel writers tell us that he washes his hands and he says, this isn't on me, this is on you. And yet the reality is, he's, it is on him. It is on them. And as we would think in a bigger context as well, that this is also on us. Because as we look at all that's going on in this, we see that in the midst of this unfolding, we could summarize some of this. The second part of the passage is this, that Pilate, Pilate releases Barabbas and condemns Jesus. There's an exchange that has taken place. The Barabbas is a guilty criminal. Unquestioned that he is a guilty criminal. We understand who is Jesus, that we recognize that Jesus is indeed an innocent king. An innocent king who is also the Messiah. And so Jesus is innocent king. And so what do the crowds do? The crowds are calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. Put him to death. Kill him. And they're calling for that. And what does Pilate do? Listen, Pilate serves himself by satisfying the crowd. It was the best, thing, the best thing I could do. What else could I have done? And, and we see this rationale. And I'm, I'm challenged by that too because I wonder how often that's the basis on which we determine what we're going to do. On the basis of what's expedient? What's going to serve me best right now? What's going to keep others from being upset with me? What's going to keep the peace? And rather than being people of truth, rather than being people of justice, rather than being people who are committed to doing the right thing, whatever it costs us, that we very easily reflect Pilate. And we just do what, well, it's just, what else could I do? And rather than trusting God, we, we do what makes sense to us. And so Pilate is serving himself by satisfying the crowd, but we recognize as well that Jesus then, what happens, he is scourged, and he's handed over for crucifixion. He is scourged. In the movie, The Passion of the Christ, they demonstrate this. And I don't know that it's as ugly as it is in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's very likely Jesus was even more than that because the Scriptures tell us that he was unrecognizable. But this idea of scourging, is a, it's, a, it's a stick about 18 inches long with, with leather cords, and then in it is bone and metal tied to the ends of it. And the prisoner would be strapped to a tree or to a post, and across his back, this whip would be, he'd be beaten with it. And it would be ripping his skin off. It was just shredding him. And oftentimes, prisoners would die as a result of this. Pilate hoped that the scourging would be enough to satisfy the people, but it wasn't. They demanded his crucifixion, and so they turned Jesus over to be crucified. And as we look at that, we would ask the question, why was Jesus silent? Why did Jesus not speak up? Why did he not defend himself? And as we recognize it, 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 in many ways it's in our story because we see here that the Barabbas is now free. 
Barabbas is free because Jesus was punished. Because Jesus is sentenced, Barabbas goes free. And we could say that, listen, Jesus was silent before his accusers so that he could speak up for us. That Jesus, as before his accusers, he knows he's the innocent son of God and he's done nothing wrong. And so he, he doesn't defend himself to get out of that. And he doesn't, do, he doesn't because his whole mission has been come, has become to seek and save those who are lost. The scriptures tell us in, in Matthew chapter, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. But Jesus, the whole purpose, he was the sinless son of God, took on flesh, lived a sinless life, because he was going to exchange his sinless perfection, his A-plus moral report card, for our report card. Our failures, our sins, and our rebellion. And the only way Jesus could do that is if he submitted himself to the will of the Father and to the will of the Jewish and the Roman courts and to go and to be punished as an innocent man to take our sins upon himself. And he did that so that then he could give us his report card his righteousness and if we would repent and believe the gospel that that our sins are taken away and the righteousness of jesus christ is applied to our account and we are told that today in heaven for those who are believers that we have an advocate in heaven that jesus is there as our advocate and he was silent before his accuser so that he could speak up for us that he refused to defend himself before his accusers so that he could represent us before the Father. And it's a beautiful gospel truth. And it's a beautiful gospel truth. And as we look, as this passage ends, as Jesus is delivered over to be crucified, for Jesus, the night of the Last Supper has ended and the morning has come. And when the morning came, he was under trial for uh, being, uh, being the Christ, being the Son of God, and his day got no brighter. And in fact, as the day of the Passover continued, it got, grew darker and darker and darker for Jesus. That he is beaten, that he is scourged. And we're told that to the point of darkness, that when Jesus was crucified, there was darkness over all the land. This darkness covered the land. It's the time as though the Father has turned from the Son, as the Son has taken the sins upon Himself. The Father turns from that sin. And Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, but it's a, it's a call of, 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 of conviction and confidence in the Father, knowing all that's going on, but the fact that He is now separated. The day has gotten dark for Jesus. But the day became dark for Jesus so that we could have light. That's the hope we have of the gospel. And so as we read this, as we see this, all that Jesus endured, that we need to ensure that we see ourselves accurately in this passage. In many ways, we are represented by the Jewish leaders who want somebody convicted for something wrong. That is Pilate, that we don't do everything that's right. As Barabbas, that we're guilty criminals. 
But because of what Jesus did, like Barabbas, we can be free. That we can be free as we turn from our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior. And as we then live in light of that, we know then that darkness passes and the light comes. And for those who walk on the path of righteousness, that our days get brighter and brighter that we find hope and we find contentment and we find joy and we find peace and we find rest. Yes, life is hard and yes, we still are stuck at home because of the COVID virus and life is still hard, but we have hope. That we have hope that our God is for us and our God is with us. And a great promise that we hear in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this, What then shall we say to these things? to all of these hardships and the difficulties that we endure, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? That's the confidence that we have. It's the confidence we have, church family, that our God is for us. And as we are walking through what seem to be some dark days in our country with the COVID virus and this uncertainty of what tomorrow is going to bring and constantly shifting news about, about the virus and what we can do and what we can't do, that we would keep our feet planted in the, confident, in the, in the confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have a God who loves us and a Son who endured the cross for us so that we could know Him so that we could love him and that we could live for him. And I would encourage you during this season of, of uh, quarantine that you use your time well to be digging into these truths. Easter's not far away, but you'd be reflecting on all that God has done for us. Guilty criminals set free because someone stepped into our place for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the love of Christ. Lord, the love of Christ that was demonstrated to us, Lord, is through His silence. The Lord, as He was silent, He took those charges. He confessed that He was the Christ. He confessed that He was the King of the Jews. And Lord, He was not guilty of any crimes that would merit His death because those charges were true. But Lord, we thank You that Jesus submitted Himself to the will of the Father for us so that we be free, so we could have hope, so that our sins could be washed away, so that we could be made brand new. The Lord help us to live out this newness, to live out this newness with hope and peace and joy and confidence in you, even in the midst of uncertain and dark days. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you as we wrap up to keep an eye here on our Facebook page and our church family page to for additional updates, our plan is to be back here, same place, same time next week. May God bless you.